The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me Are you willing to allow the Holy Spirit 
to open your mind and your heart to the hatred or the anger you may have toward the Lord God of heaven. Are you willing to allow the Holy Spirit to open your mind? If so, this broadcast of Pilgrim's Progress is for you. In Romans, the eighth chapter, I begin reading for you at verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. He's speaking here about a direction of your mind. And the direction he's saying the sinful nature will set its attention on what the sinful nature desires. Continuing, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. There is a dramatic difference between what your nature desires and what the Spirit of God desires. Are you willing today for your mind to be opened for what the Spirit of God desires? Verse 6, the mind of sinful man is death. In other words, if you continue having your mind set on what your nature desires, you will die. Even though you are a religious person, you will die. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life. So there is a giving up of my control and a recognition of the Holy Spirit's place of authority over my life. Verse 7, the sinful mind, that is, the natural mind, is hostile to God. It is antagonistic toward God. It is defensive toward God. It wants its own way. Continuing, it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Righteousness is the issue. Innocence before God is the issue. And the only way we can be innocent before God is to allow the Spirit of God to take control of our life. Now, one of the things that I most treasure about the Word of God, particularly in the Old Testament, 
or the Old Covenant is when the Scriptures will take the life of a man, pick it up where he is hostile to God, where he must be awakened, and then walk all the way through his life and let us see where are the mark, where are the separations, where are the manifestations of God stepping into this life because God does not change. He wants to step into your life just like he stepped into others' lives. Now, the story I'm going to share with you is found in 1 Samuel, the 10th chapter. His name is Saul. This is the man who becomes king over Israel, the first king of Israel. Now, just as background, you need to understand that that Samuel knew all about the stories of Scripture. He knew about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, just as you and I do. Many years had passed, even as they have for us. He had heard the stories. He had learned them from his parents and from the teaching of the of the priests. He knew all about the Exodus and Moses. He knew the stories of God's manifest power. He knew about Joshua and the capturing of the cities, Jericho. This man knew the stories of Scripture. He lived in the ages of the judges. He knew the story of Gideon. He was Jewish. And so this man is a farmer. He works with his dad. He's an adult. He's not a child. He's a young man. No doubt married. But he works on the family farm. And it is a prosperous farm. And we find this story. It's astonishing. I want to share parts of it with you. Israel is demanding a king. They've never had a king. God has been their king, and he has ruled through judges. Now, this Benjamite man, and Benjamin is the smallest tribe in Israel, Because of their sin, many Benjamites had been slain, and they were building up again the tribe of Benjamin. Now, Saul was an impressive young man. He was head and shoulders taller than any of the other children of Israel. He was a big man. He was an impressive man. Now, the scriptures say that the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost. They had wandered off, apparently. But I want to stop right there, because one of the most marked things in this entire story is the wonderful power of God to order every circumstance of our life. And the story of Saul 
is the story of God ordering very specific circumstances and then Saul choosing to operate by his own heart and his own mind out of his hatred for God. Now, it wasn't called hatred. It wasn't called animosity. It's just described as this is what happened. But when we look at it carefully, when we are unwilling to allow God to work out the minute details of our lives, when we demand the right to be in charge of our lives, it is flowing out of what happened with Eve and Adam in the Garden of Eden where the devil said, God is lying to you. And if you'll just take charge of your own life, you'll, you'll be like God's. And you'll be able to determine what is right and wrong. So one of the most prominent marks or clues that tell us that a man or a woman has animosity in their heart toward God is this self-direction, refusing to submit to what God wants so that we have a revelation of what God wants and we say, absolutely no, no thank you, I'm not going to do that. I know what I want and I'm not going to have anything to do with that which is an absolute clear sign of animosity, hostility in our heart toward God. The relationship with Jesus is not primarily about how we feel about him. It is not what we would call hunger in our heart for God. That's not the primary indicator of our walk with Jesus. The primary indicator as spoken of in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, is whether or not we submit and walk in righteousness before God. What is righteousness? Innocence. It means we're not breaking God's law. We're not being lawless. We're not going our own way. We're not setting up our own standards. We're not demanding that God conform to our wishes, but instead as Immediately this morning, as I awakened in my bed, in my bed, unbidden, the Lord's prayer began to flow from my lips. I didn't even think about it. It just automatically, the Lord's prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I stopped and I said, oh God, hear the cry of my heart. I want your will to be done in my life today. I want to speak the word on the radio today that is straight from the heart of God. I want to speak from the heart of Jesus. I don't want my own will. I want the will of God. When you begin to ask for the will of God, You have to begin to recognize that he's going to be in every detail that will happen throughout that day. He'll be in your feelings. He'll be in your intellectual thoughts. He will order the flow of your day. He will order 
the circumstances of your life. He will establish meetings. He will block meetings. He will bring people into your life unexpectedly. He will remove others from your life because they are not conforming to the will of God. He is in charge of your life. You no longer light your own fires so that you can have a torch to see your way, to go on your way. Isaiah says if you do that, you will lie down in torture. I don't want to lie down in torture anymore. I want Jesus to order my steps, and then whatever he decides, that's okay with me. A sign of hostility in your heart toward God is the refusal to simply submit your life unselfishly into the hands of God and say, Lord Jesus, thy will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. And then you go on and you pray. Lord, this day, give me my daily bread. Give me my daily bread. What is my daily bread? The broken body of Jesus. His flesh is real food. I'm asking that that Jesus would feed me himself so that I can be utterly given over to him in the work of that day. And I can tell you after I prayed, I said, Jesus, I'm so hungry this morning. I am so hungry. And he, with warmth and love, welcomed me into the prayer closet where he met me. Where he met me. And he filled me with his presence. I said, Lord, I don't know how to present this today. I don't know how to talk about this today. Would you just come now and would you shape it and would you form it? Would you... Would you put the message on my lips that you would have spoken? Oh, I knew I had to speak about the anger we have in our hearts against God. And many of you this week, as you've shared with me, have had a very difficult time with this concept because you've said, Pastor, I have no hatred in my heart that I'm conscious of. I have no conscious awareness of any hatred in my heart toward God. What are you saying to me, Pastor? I'm saying that the hatred in your heart toward God has been covered up by the natural man or the natural woman having your own way. You don't begin to understand the hatred in your heart toward God until you begin in every area to submit to his will, where you give up your own way, and then you find your heart struggling and saying, but I want it this way. I want this person. I want this activity. I want these successes. I want this to happen. And then we have to face the fact. God may not want that for our life. Some of you today have been struggling with God for a long time. And you've been just walking in your own path. 
a religious path, perhaps. But you don't pray. If you do not every day spend time in prayer, if you do not every day come into the presence of Jesus and open your heart and receive his direction, if you do not every day surrender your day into his hands, then you have hostility in your heart toward God. You see, the reason we don't pray is we don't feel a need to pray because we feel that we have everything pretty much under control or others have our life under their control. And when we pray, it seems that nothing happens. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. Something does happen when we pray. Part of what needs to happen is the hostility in our heart needs to be exposed so that literally Jesus becomes for us our life sustenance, our bread, our nourishment. So let's look at this story of Saul. The donkeys are lost. Now let's be very clear. The story of Saul opens with the donkeys being lost. These circumstances of the donkeys being lost causes Saul's father to ask Saul to take a servant with him and go and see if he can look for and find these donkeys. They are very valuable. They are money on the hoof. He does not want to lose these valuable donkeys. Now, what I want you to see is that God is in charge of the circumstances of the donkeys being lost. God is involved in that. He needs to move Saul from the farm to a place where he would recognize that God met him. Now, at the same time, while Saul does not understand that God has caused the donkeys to wander off, to cause he and his servant to chase after them, God has ordered Samuel, the prophet, who hears directly from God, to go to this city, this village, and there to prepare a sacrifice and hold a feast. Verse 3 of 1 Samuel, the ninth chapter. Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father Kish were lost. And Kish said to his son, Saul, take one of the servants with you and go look for the donkeys. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim, through the area. He searched for the donkeys. And finally they reached a far district. And Saul said to the servant who was with him, Come, let's go back, or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. Well, the servant speaks up. And through the mouth of the servant, just a humble man, 
a servant. Through the mouth of this humble man, he redirects Saul's steps. Saul has no clue yet that God is involved in what's happening. Many of you today have no clue that God is involved in what's happening in your life. You lose your job. God's involved. In the heart of a Christian man or woman, nothing can enter your life but by the power of the Holy Spirit. No circumstance can exist except as the Holy Spirit allows those circumstances to exist. And in Romans, the eighth chapter, it says, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. So the Lord has a plan for your life. The problem is, if you don't understand what God's plan is for your life, and you will not cooperate with it, in fact, you rebel against it, and you say, no, I'm not going to have that. And then the whole plan shifts and changes, and you're put on hold. And then you have to wait on God, or you have to go ahead in your own power with the hostility of your own mind, your fleshly mind, to chart your own course. And many of you listening to this broadcast today have said no to God's direction in your life, and you've charted your own course until now you don't even hear from God anymore. You're on your own. There's hostility in your heart toward God. Now this servant says, look, in this town there's a man of God. He's highly respected, and everything he says comes true. Now let's go there. Perhaps he will tell us what way to take. Saul says to the servant, if we go, what, what can we give the man of God? The food in our sack is gone. We have no gifts to take to the man of God. What do we have? So Saul's saying, look, it's impossible. He will not even speak with us. What he doesn't know is that it's already arranged that Saul is going to be a man of honor and sit at the table and feast with the prophet today and be anointed the king of Israel. Saul doesn't even know any of this. He's not conscious of what God is doing. Many of you today are simply unconscious of what God is bringing about in your life. And in the hostility of your spirit, you rebel against what God wants to accomplish. The servant answers him, look, he said, I have a a quarter of a shekel of silver. That is about a tenth of an ounce of silver. He said, we can give this to the man of God. Saul says, good. Okay, let's go. God clears away every obstacle. They go into town. And as they go into the town, up the hill, they meet some young ladies coming down, some girls. They're coming to draw water at the well. And they ask these young kids, Is the seer here? Is the prophet here? He is, they answered. He's ahead of you. Hurry now. He's just come to our town for the people to have a sacrifice at the high place. 
Was it accidental that God had these young girls coming down for water at that precise moment? Of course not. Every detail of our life can be ordered by the power of God if we will set our minds on him and not on our own nature. If we will drop our unbelief and our hostility toward God. You see, many of you, again, do not pray because you don't believe that when you pray, anything happens. The reason you believe that is you have prayed in the past and nothing has happened because you were determined to follow your own path. You were determined that God would do what you wanted him to do or you did not want anything from him. That is anger and hostility toward the living God. It is unbelief. So they entered the town. And here's Samuel coming toward them on the way to the high place where the meal is going to be shared. Accidental? No, Samuel's been directed. As you go, this is what you will see. This is the man I've chosen. Verse 15, now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him leader over my people Israel. He will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked upon my people, and their cry has reached me. So when Samuel catches sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. So God can control the man who doesn't even know that the power of God is present. A pagan man can be directed to be in a specific place at a specific time to give God a chance to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in your life as a follower of his. He's the one who opens the door of opportunity, or he is the one who closes the door. All things are in his hands. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then your life is ordered by the power of God. If you are a religious person who is going your own path and working out your own strategy, not walking with a heart totally consecrated and given into the hand of Jesus, it's because there is hostility in your heart and you are eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you are walking in the steps of demons. Saul approaches Samuel, and he says, Would you please tell me where the seer's house is? In other words, Saul does not recognize the moves of God. Things have happened in his life, and he has no clue that these are not just casual circumstances. 
in the kingdom of God, there are no such things as casual circumstances. I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you're to eat with me, and in the morning I will let you go, and I will tell you all that is in your heart. And as for the donkeys you lost three days ago, do not worry about them. They've been found. And to whom is the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and all of your father's family? And Saul responds, But I am not, am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribes of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? He is totally oblivious to the spirit realm. Even as I fear some of you are. But Samuel brought Saul and his servant into the hall. He seated them at the head of those who were invited, about thirty in number. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the piece of meat I gave you, the one I told you to lay aside. So the cook took up the leg, what was on it. He set it in front of Saul. And Samuel said, Here is what has been kept for you. Eat because it was set aside for you for this occasion from the time I said I have invited guests. He had no clue, Saul had no clue the preparations that God was making behind the scenes in preparing for his will to be accomplished in Saul's life. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. And then Samuel talked with Saul on the roof of the house. That night, they slept. The next morning, about daybreak, Samuel called to Saul on the roof, Get ready, I'm going to send you on your way. And when Saul got ready, he and Samuel went outside together. And as they were going down to the edge of the town, Samuel said to Saul, Tell your servant to go on ahead of us. The servant did so. He said, But you stay here a while so that I may give you a message from God. Well, my brother, my sister, I am bringing you today a message from God. I pray you will listen carefully to it. Your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. You were redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now will you set your mind and your heart on the things of God and turn aside from the foolishness of this world. Samuel took a flask of oil. He poured it on Saul's head and he kissed him and he said, Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? And now he's going to give him spiritual insight so that his eyes can be opened, so that he will know none of this is by chance. Oh, if we could just see that there is nothing by chance that happens to God's people. When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb. This is 1 Samuel, the 10th chapter, verse 2. When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb. 
they will say to you, the donkeys you set out to look for have been found, and now your father has stopped thinking about you and is worried about about the donkeys and is worried about you. He is asking, what shall I do about my son? Then you are to go from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. After that, you will go to Gobrith of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. And as you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high places with lyres and tambourines and flutes and harps being played before them. They will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. What is the change that is going to occur? Saul is being called to leave behind the way of flesh. He is being called to put behind him the natural man. He is being called to become a man of the spirit of the living God. Notice what happens. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. In other words, he took away the doubt. And all of the signs were fulfilled that day. When they arrived at Gilbreth, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came upon him in power. He joined in their prophesying. When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, What is this? What is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? In other words, this man now has suddenly been transformed into a spirit man. Oh, I am pleading today that you be turned into a spirit person. That you begin to recognize your desperate need to pray. Because as you pray, God will reveal to you, even as he did to Saul, what events are going to transpire and what he wants you to do and how he wants you to respond to these events. He's going to reveal to your heart the cry of his heart for the lost. He's going to put you on your face knowing that your prayer is going to be answered by the Almighty God because you have God's interest in heart. You have dropped your animosity and your hatred of God. You have repented of it. You have condemned it. You have said, I will no longer hold this self-importance. I will no longer have a bitter root in my heart. I will no longer turn aside from the living God of heaven. I am going to walk in the shadow of the Almighty Some of you say to me, Pastor, when I pray, it's like my prayers bounce off the roof at me, bounce off the ceiling. My prayers don't go any higher than the ceiling of my room. I'll tell you why that occurs. Because there are, there are issues of hatred toward God in your heart. There's anger toward God in your heart. There's hostility toward God 
He is calling you to repent. If you want your prayers to ascend into the presence of God, you must repent of your hostility toward him. You must give up your demands on him. You must turn aside from your own way and say, Jesus, I want your way, not my way. So Saul goes home. And Samuel summons all of the people of Israel to Mitzpah. And he says, we will select a king. Now again, Samuel uses lots. It's almost as though they're using dice. But remember, there's no chance in this. God controls. God's in charge. Nothing is too hard for him. If you will say, God, I want your way. Jesus, I want your Holy Spirit to come and dwell in me and utterly cleanse me and wash me and purify my heart. I want to be made innocent by your blood. I want to be made righteous by your blood. Jesus, I give up my will. I choose your will. I want your way. Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near. The tribe of Benjamin was chosen. Uh Uh-oh. Watch. Then he brought forward the tribe of, of Benjamin, clan by clan. Saul's family was chosen. And then they cast lots among Saul's family. And Saul was chosen. They looked around and they couldn't find him. Where is he? He's hidden himself among the baggage. First, we see the sign of Saul's hostility toward God by his living so much in the natural world that he had no concept of the spirit realm. But he was changed. The power and presence of God was revealed to him. I pray that the power and will of Jesus will be revealed to you, as it was to Saul. But now the interesting part that happens is that he hides himself there is a falseness in his heart. There, is a, there are concerns in his heart for himself. He is still allowing his flesh to rule his heart. They bring him out and they shout, Long live the king. But Saul doesn't know how to be a king, and he doesn't know enough to to go to Samuel and say, I don't know how to be a king. There was absent from his heart, from the very beginning, a humility, a humbleness that would say, oh God, what is your will? He should have fallen on his face like Moses and said, oh God, I don't know how to be a king. Will you teach me how to be the king of your people? Saul should have gone to God. Instead, he just went home. He just went home. 
But God touched the hearts of many valiant warriors, and they went to the farm with him. He didn't know what to do with them. So they camped out. They put up tents. Some of the unbelievers in the camp scorned him and said, What a farmer for a king. How can this man save us? And they despised him and they didn't give him any gifts. Now in chapter 11, you begin to get the shaping again. The Ammonite, the wicked king, goes up and besieges Jabesh Gilead. And the men of Jabesh say, make a treaty with us and we will be subject to you. And the Ammonite says, I'll make a treaty with you only on one condition, that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you to bring disgrace on Israel. Now, again, this has been set up by the Holy Spirit. Saul needs to be brought into the kingship. So what looks like a terrible tragedy in the making is God. He is the one who is creating circumstances by which he can bring forth his glory. Do you think God is not doing that in your life? What are you doing with the tragedy that unfolds in your life? The tragedy of of my wife dying of cancer. What do I do with that tragedy? God wants to bring forth something. And I have to be subject to the Holy Spirit with no animosity in my heart and no judgment against God in my spirit. I must be utterly at peace with Jesus and say, Lord, thy will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. So the Spirit of God falls on Saul. And his immediate response to the coming of the Holy Spirit upon his life is bitter anger. Now, this is going to be true through all of the rest of Saul's life. He is going to be moved by the human emotion of anger, of self. He's not going to be moved by falling on his face before God and seeking the will of the Lord. Instead, it's going to be anger and threat. And this will eventually cause him to sit at the table of a witch and finally cause him to commit suicide. His anger. His anger at God. His anger at everyone. His anger at himself. His his anger at his son where he tries to kill his son. This anger has to be dealt with. The anger of your heart must be uncovered. It is hostility and anger that causes you not to pray and not to fall on your face before the Almighty and simply surrender and ask Him for direction and be willing to receive whatever He wants to give you. It's much easier to be discouraged, to be depressed, to complain, to grumble. 
to be impatient, saying, why is God treating me this way? Why is this happening to me? Why is every roadblock being thrown up in, in front of me? Well, the Holy Spirit's in charge, mister, missus, not you. Are you willing to submit? Or are you going to be like King Saul was? So he kills the oxen. He divides up the meat. He sends a piece of that meat by messengers throughout Israel. And he claims, this is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. In other words, he's not trusting the Holy Spirit to move in the hearts of the children of Israel to come and follow him as the new king. He's trusting in his own anger and his own threat. And he's not big enough yet to threaten. And so he uses the name of the prophet Samuel to threaten the people. This is not how God operates. This is how flesh operates. Even though he was changed into a new person, he is now already reverting back to the old flesh man. Some of you had marvelous experiences of conversion, but you have since pulled back. You've given yourself to your flesh. So you grumble and you complain and you you demand. You're angry. You're bitter. You have accusations against this person or that person. You gossip and you set yourself up as somebody. All of this is just anger and hostility toward God. Three hundred and thirty thousand men come to fight. There's a great victory. But I want to read this for you in verse 13. This day the Lord has rescued Israel. That's what Saul said. He recognized that it was not his anger. It was not his anger that caused 330,000 soldiers to show up. It was the Holy Spirit. Now Saul is struggling between his own anger and the power of the Holy Spirit. He's struggling with this. And finally, his own spirit is going to be victorious. And that's why he ends up at a witch's table. And Samuel says to the people, come, let's go to Gilgal again and let's reaffirm the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal and confirmed Saul as king in the presence of the Lord. And there they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord. And Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. They knew it was God. Now that's just the beginning of the story. I wish I had time to tell you more today. We'll continue this next week. I want you to see, I want you to understand, I want you to uncover the anger of your heart against God. Stop denying anger just because you can't see it. Look at the anger as it reveals itself in your lack of prayer, in your lack of trust in Jesus, as you walk in your own flesh, doing what you think you need to do to be successful, complaining and groaning and moaning and 
All of that is just anger against God. Remember what Moses said to the children of Israel? You're not speaking to us. You're speaking to God. You're not threatening to kill us. You're threatening to kill God. Oh, my brother, my sister. Confess your anger. Ask the Holy Spirit to uncover it. Get clean with him. We're called to be spirit men and women, not flesh men and women. We're not called to have hostility toward God. We're called to love him. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee, the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. It's the cry of my heart that this radio broadcast, that this message day by day on Pilgrim's Progress can go to this city. If you'd like to be a part of making that happen, I invite you to send your tithes and offerings to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I also invite you to go to our webpage. It's under construction. It's a new webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com. Come visit us this Sunday. Worship begins at 12 noon. God bless you, my brother, my sister. Walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Jesus loves you, and so do I. I'll talk to you soon. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with Jesus.